At this time yesterday, I introduced the Brahma Vihara practices, and we started to explore the first of these four qualities, which is the quality of metta or goodwill. And we began practicing metta for the benefactor using the method of reciting phrases where we silently offer words of well-wishing to different categories of people. And this particular method of practicing metta was developed after the lifetime of the Buddha. It comes from the Vasudhimaga, which is the path of purification, and was compiled by Buddha Gosa in about the 5th century in Sri Lanka. So today I'd like to offer a different method, one that's a bit closer to how the Brahma Vihara practices were laid out in the suttas from the Buddha's lifetime. But before we start that, I'd like to give just a little bit more context about what we're doing here and to acknowledge that whatever method of practice we use, for some people, metta just... (coughs) Metta just generally can be quite challenging. And this was definitely true for me uh, for quite a few years. Uh, Early in my practice, I really disliked metta, and I tried to avoid it as much as possible. So (coughs) if that's true for any of you, you definitely have my empathy. One thing that helped change my relationship to it was understanding that all of the Brahma Vihara practices, including metta, are what's known as, in quotation marks, purification practices. And this basically means that they're designed to show us all of our stuff, everything that gets in the way of metta, or compassion, or joy, or equanimity. So with metta, just taking metta as an example, it's quite common that we sit down with the intention to generate kindness, friendliness, goodwill, and we instead find ourselves lost in petty resentments, seething with irritation or frustration, or burning with jealousy or sexual fantasies or judgment or self-judgment or blankness or blame or boredom or numbness and so on, the list can actually get quite long. So even though these mind states are very unpleasant to experience, it's actually good news that they're coming up because unless we see the obstacles, we can't do anything about them. So remembering that slogan, if it's in the way, it is the way. First we have to see what's in the way. And in this way, metta and vipassana, or insight, can come together. So we bring mindfulness to the responses in the body, in the heart, and the mind as we try to cultivate metta. And we try to develop this attitude of kind curiosity that I've been mentioning. This attitude of metta to the non-metta, rather than getting lost in judgment about it. So even as we're trying to absorb the mind into the energy of kindness, there will also be times when we need to keep an eye on what's going on and to try to open to the full spectrum of our experience in the moment with this attitude of kind curiosity. 
And this is similar to the strategies for working with pain that I offered this morning at the end of the 8.30 sitting. So if you remember, um, I was talking about pain specifically, but these strategies also work with emotional discomfort. So even though metta is usually classified as a concentration practice, we're still using some degree of mindfulness to keep noticing what's going on. And as we get more familiar with these practices, we might start to recognize some common and particular types of thoughts and emotions that get in the way. And in the Vasudhi Maga, the path of purification, these are known as the near and the far enemies of the practice. There are different types of obstacles that prevent metta or compassion or joy or equanimity from developing fully and unconditionally. So just to get a sense of that, taking en- uh, sorry, taking metta as an example, the far enemy of metta is its exact opposite, any form of ill will or aversion. So it includes some of the states I just listed, for example, irritation or frustration or resentment, fairly minor ones, all the way through to extreme jealousy or anger or hatred. It also includes all forms of disconnection, such as numbness or boredom or blankness or indifference. So just a few strategies for working with this so-called far enemy. The first step, of course, is to recognize it. And usually because this is pretty unpleasant, it's quite easy. So we meet the aversion with mindfulness. We see it clearly and we perhaps note it. Oh, aversion, resentment, boredom, frustration, self-judgment, and so on. And sometimes just that recognizing it helps it to release. If it doesn't, we might need to take what I call a strategic withdrawal. So remembering that all, with all of the Brahma-Vihara practices, we're uh, trying to take the path of least resistance. So the encouragement is always to start with where the metta comes most easily and then gradually expand it to include more and more beings. So the other night I gave the analogy of the pools of water in a waterfall that we start at the top where the pool is already almost full, we fill it and then it naturally cascades down to the next pool and then when that becomes full, down to the next pool and so on. So in this way, if you were working with yourself, for example, and trying to cultivate metta for yourself and you noticed some kind of self-judgment or disconnection, taking a strategic withdrawal might look like coming back to the benefactor coming back to where it comes more easily again, reconnecting with the warmth there, and when that feels a little stronger, then trying again, doing it for yourself. On the other hand, if you really hit a wall with it, sometimes that just seems to happen, then it's fine to let go of the Brahma-Vihara practice altogether and just come back to the breath just that simplicity of resting the awareness on the breath. Or if you want to try at least infusing a little bit of kindness in it, you might like to work with the breath 
in that sense I introduced the other morning in terms of receiving and releasing. So as you breathe in, you're literally receiving oxygen, receiving life. But you might also think metaphorically of receiving warmth, receiving kindness. And as you breathe out, you're literally releasing carbon dioxide, also releasing what's no longer needed. You can think of this also as releasing what's getting in the way. So breathing in metta and releasing obstacles. Just to play with that and see if that helps soothe the heart-mind. So those are a couple of strategies for dealing with the far enemy of metta. The so-called near enemy of metta is a state that's in the terrain of kindness, but it misses the mark slightly. It's just a little bit off in some way. So remembering that what we're aiming for ultimately is universal or unconditional goodwill. The near enemy of metta can sometimes show up as a kind of sticky or sentimental affection that's in some way a little bit exclusive or possessive or controlling, conditional. It's sometimes referred to as affection with attachment. And this near enemy can be a bit harder to see because in some ways it can feel quite pleasant. It tends to show up more in relation to the benefactor or the good friend categories of people. And sometimes this gets revealed in the sequence of instructions when we notice some resistance to leaving the benefactor or the good friend and moving to the neutral person. And we just want to stay with our benefactor because they're so wonderful. And we have such a warm connection with them and they've done so many good things for us. And Yeah, we'll get to the neutral person later, maybe quite a bit later. We just want to stay with that warmth and there's a kind of attachment stickiness there. Another way this near enemy can show up is a kind of conditional well-wishing or meta with an agenda. This is when we, in some way, are bargaining with the person we're offering the metta to, a sense of controlling kindness. So sometimes we're working with the phrases and we might hear something like, yeah, may you be well, may you be happy, may you get over that annoying habit of cracking your knuckles all the time. So we just find these little sort of taints coming in. So again, the key for dealing with the near enemy is to be able to recognize it, to have the mindfulness to see it, and then as best we can to help it to release. So these are the near and the far enemies of the practice. And one other common obstacle is any sense of expectation about what should be happening, what's supposed to be happening any kind of agenda at all because as I mentioned the other night this can set up performance anxiety and something in us consciously or unconsciously rebels no I'm not going to feel kind we contact our inner two year old so remembering then that the most important thing we're doing here is cultivating the intention of the matter and any emotion that comes is really a byproduct of the practice Because if we're doing the practice with an agenda to get some kind of pleasant emotional state, then it's not unconditional. 
Instead, it becomes subtly or not so subtly about me, and it can even reinforce a sense of self instead of dissolving it, which is where these practices are leading. And as you know from your own experience, trying to force an emotion is usually completely counterproductive. So all we can do is set the intention to cultivate metta, settle back, and just see what happens, trusting that that repeated intentionality will gradually develop and strengthen this quality of goodwill. So this afternoon, I'd like to experiment with offering the guided meditation that's perhaps a little bit closer to the way uh, it's mentioned in the suttas of the Buddha's time. The actual words from one of the texts, it says, Here, practitioners, a disciple dwells pervading one direction with his or her heart filled with goodwill. Likewise, the second, the third, and the fourth directions, so above, below, and all around, he or she dwells pervading the entire world, everywhere and equally, with his or her heart filled with goodwill, abundant, grown great, measureless, free from enmity and free from distress. So I think of this way of practicing metta as radiating energy or pervading energy. And the advantage of this method is that it's relatively simple. There are not so many words involved, no phrases not so much thinking, just the invitation to connect with the energy of metta as an embodied energy, and then spreading it outwards in ever-expanding circles until it pervades the entire world. And the directions that are referred to in the text are the four compass directions of north and south, east and west, but for some of us, that's not so easy to discern. So in the um, instructions, I'll just talk about the front, the right, behind, and the left. It's a similar sequence. And the instructions I'll give are based, to some extent, on the way uh, Bhikkhu Analio has taught metta. And when he does it, just to sort of get started, to kickstart that energy, he suggests that people flash on a mental image of some kind that naturally brings a spark of warmth. So he suggests things like the image of a cute kitten or a playful puppy or an adorable baby or perhaps if you have an affinity with wild animals, a wild animal or even a beautiful flower. It doesn't matter so much what the image is but just it brings a, just a, a small hit of, of warmth or open-heartedness. So I'll be suggesting that you return to this image from time to time just to recharge the energy of the metta before we move to each new direction. And I'll try to keep it fairly short so that you can get a taste for it and then perhaps uh, leave time for questions at the end. Okay, 